Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixed Gene, many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk. We guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io, and we can talk about your SaaS project today. Today is Steve Pockross, CEO of Verblio. Verblio is a content creation SaaS platform that helps get your content creation out the door and onto your website quickly, painlessly. Steve brings 20 years plus years of executive experience today. We're going to take a look back at how he got started with Verblio. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good. Okay. Quickly, Steve, can you just mention a bit about yourself and yeah, just give me a quick intro on yourself. Sure. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, which is where I live again. But in between there, there were about 20 years of bopping around. And so I lived in San Francisco for about 15 years, uh, worked in Silicon Valley in the tech scene. I had my first career in nonprofits where I spent about six years doing affordable housing, micro lending and things of that nature. Um, have spent time in almost all the US time zones. I went to school on the East Coast and then I went to grad school in Chicago. And then I lived in South America for a couple of years in Rio de Janeiro and Santiago, Chile, working and studying down there. Uh, I live in Denver with my, uh, I got two boys who are nine and 12, and I do a lot of the quality outdoor uh, things that Coloradans are supposed to do, like ski and mountain bike, uh, and play a lot of Ultimate Frisbee, host jazz concerts, and uh, and obsessed with history and pretty much way too many hobbies to be good at. Wow, a very interesting. When you say you host jazz, are you playing? Oh, man, I want to play. So that's my dream. Uh, but I yeah. I host kind of top local bands that are playing at the jazz clubs and things like that. And I clear out my living room, invite 70 of my friends over. And it turns into a really unique musical experience where they're super excited because they rarely have everybody paying attention to them versus eating at the jazz club and to get to meet a whole new audience. And for us, it's just magical to have it played in our house. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, and well I miss it very, very much. Sounds like your place is a fun place to be in Denver. So any listeners, reach out to hear some jazz fest hosted by Steve. Why don't you um, tell us who your customer is for Verblio and what specific problem are you solving for them? So our customers are digital marketers who are focused on inbound content marketing. And what they're trying to do is create consistent quality content that reaches their audience at every level of the inbound funnel. And so... The main problem they have is creating consistent content is a hard problem, especially one if you want to do it at scale. Doing that with quality is a particularly hard one that very few have solved. I would argue that no one has solved it appropriately yet, and that is our North Star. 
And so the reason that people create great content is not because they love creating content. It's because it's one of the most effective marketing channels and because they're interested in finding their audience. You, you invest in content so that you find your own clients of the future. And so we try to make that as effective as possible. And the challenge is that doing that on your own is pretty hard and doing it with the existing solutions is also pretty challenging. Okay. So we had a show with the founder of Endash. Is he a similar sort of platform? It sounds similar. Is, am I right? I'm actually not that familiar with Endash, but okay. it's possible. Okay. Sounds like a similar. So they have the same thing, like maybe 2000 content writers and they SAS it out somehow. And I actually didn't log into their platform, but it sounds to me like you sort of manage all of the you have a, some freelance, obviously all these freelance writers that come to your platform and then the, the sort of the people that are looking for the service exchange and you manage that interaction. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a lot to it to that. So I'll say that this kind of the space got started. It was originally called crowdsourcing and now it's called more marketplace services platforms. And it started okay. in the early 2000s. And I was with one of the foundational companies called LiveOps that was kind of inventing this model. And the model is, how do you bring together a marketplace of curated top talent with a SaaS platform that is highly focused on delivering towards one vertical and classic SaaS model, adding professional services so you can plug and play this ecosystem into yours, however, makes the most sense. And so I would argue that in that first version of marketplace platforms, the real focus was on just on getting availability of talent. So it was all about, do I have 2,000, do I have 3,000, 10,000 people in my platform? And what you can do with that is you can make sure that every task gets served. And I think Uber is a great example of that, right? The You have commoditized the labor, so the people are just the widgets in the system that delivers the service. Um, and then you have the opposite end where you have Upwork, which is all about how do you find an individual freelancer, but you have to replicate all of the challenge of engaging somebody in a hiring process. And I think what we're trying to do is elevate that to what I call Marketplace 2.0, which is okay. how do you build the right size team of writers that fully get you so that you can build a higher level of quality on top of this. So you've got your classic iron, iron triangle pyramid where you have flexibility and scale, speed, then you have cost, and then you have quality on top. And everyone says you can only have two of those three. And I don't think you have to suffice with just two of those. And so we're really focused on how do you invert and build a different model that delivers quality? And we have a bunch of ways that we do that if you want to pursue that path. But I think rethinking this platform and the model, the business model at the same time, is what makes this really compelling. And I think there's great opportunities out there for companies to pursue similar models in other spaces and also companies that are looking to take advantage of partners that are doing similar things. So, so an example in another space could be marketing services, other types of marketing service, maybe writing, uh, putting together creatives for paid traffic campaigns and things like that, eh? or even graphic design. There's other platforms out there. Many Pixels is one that I've used before. Is this a similar sort of concept? I think so. I think we're all playing in the space and looking for what's the model that actually delivers all three of these key of, of value. So another one is like Teslio, which does similar things for QA engineers. Then you have Top Coder that does it for, for development projects, where you actually build a whole project by using a similar model. And I think that some of these models are going to start taking off as this is the way that you deliver quality at scale by using a freelancer platform in SaaS. 
Okay. So just so I understand your particular platform, if I'm coming on as a buyer, am I having to scroll? Like, how do I know I'm getting a writer that writes with the style aside from trial and error? Or I look at their writing and then it just sort of, I have to go through and say, okay, I like this writer and the price is right. That's sort of what I'm doing. Can I stay with that writer essentially on other projects or is it, how does that work? Uh, fairly. So I'll tell you some of the three kind of key tenants of our platform that we try to solve that problem. So what you're talking about are the key pain points of finding, of getting your content written. You got to find a writer, you have to find their preferences and upload and like, and basically share your preferences and your feedback with them for them to be useful. And then they actually have to be available when you want to use them and you have to give them yeah. enough business. And that's kind of what all three of those are big pain points that we think about all the time. So the way that we do this is when you become a Verblio client, you submit your topic of what you'd like to be written about. You submit it to our pool of writers that are all highly curated. We accept about 4.5% of them pass our writing test in order just to objectively get into the level of quality we're looking for. And then they basically succeed or don't based on how well they serve our clients and the feedback that they get. What mm -hmm. you will receive once you put that toast is on average within two days, within 48 hours, you will receive a full post from that writer that tries to match what you're looking for. They'll follow your guidelines. You're saying, you know, I want something topical or I want bullet points or I'm looking for something evergreen. We ask you to submit an example of the type of content that you've liked before is the most useful piece of information you can give. Our writers are matching themselves to you. And this is the inversion of the market that we think is a critical component. And most marketplaces are command and control. You submit your post, you have two choices. You either look up the writer like you were talking about before and your qualification process is generally based on their profile picture or something they've written about or sample posts, but it's not about what they wrote for you. And we think that has inherent problems, both of the amount of time it costs the client to go look for that writer. And also you're not looking at the right criteria. What you should be looking for is the end product. And so with inverted matching where they're matching themselves to you, they're basically taking all the risk on their side because they don't get paid unless you accept the post and it will go faster. And then you're going to review their piece of work and see if you're actually interested in their content and did they get you? And then yet at that point, you have three choices. You can accept it and say, this is perfect. You can ask for edits and say, hey, this is really close, especially for a first time you're getting there. Those edits come back within 24 hours on average, or you can decline it. And the main mm -hmm. key part of our, the second without part of our, pain, without pain, you get another new okay. post. So our writers are matching themselves to you based on your preferences, but also on your client behavior. If you seem like a reasonable client, you're accepting things fast, you're giving good feedback, they'll keep writing for you. Then you have okay. a choice of if you want to get them again, you prefer them, you basically put them onto your team. And so we're trying to create a right size team. We think that one individual writer is really risky. It just repeats the same challenge of, of the market. They might not be there when you need it. But if you can prefer mm -hmm. three writers, they're all going to get you and you're creating a pool and you're not going to be repeating the challenge of finding new writers again. So the okay, feedback great. process is pretty critical, the second component of our. Okay, great. It sounds like a great platform, something anyone that's building content can certainly use and experience. I create content myself, and I happen to have a very good writer, one that I'm very happy with. But, you know, I mean, there's always times where he may not be available. So I can see it being a, a big a pain point. What about like market verticals? Do you find that you have to focus in on a certain market vertical? I mean, because it sounds like it'd be very broad. 
right? You're the people that need the service. We do. And so, so far we've just been talking about kind of like the basic pain point of you want to get your ongoing content written in kind of a, a smaller scale. And so the platform Verblio started as an SMB platform, just servicing anyone. We've really uh-huh. put our put our target market on digital agencies. So digital marketing agencies produce a lot of content for a lot of clients and they have a much bigger pain point and a much bigger challenge. They're usually also limited by the amount of content that they can get out. So they might have to write for a hundred clients and 20 different verticals. Our writers are segmented into those 40 into 40 verticals for what they write for. So I think pain point number one is ongoing content. Pain point two is doing this at scale for multiple clients. And the exciting thing for me is when you get to number three, which is, all right, now that I have a platform like this where I could create as much content as I need with subject matter expertise and quality, what could I do? And so we're finding a lot of marketers out there who are creating, we have one client doing 1,200 unique articles every single month. They're trying to use SEOs, their competitive advantage, just like flood the marketplace so everyone finds them first. We have a legal SEO agency that is has asked us to have a lawyer review every piece of content that which we created and we're doing, we've done over 4,000 pieces of long form content for them and their clients just, it gives them an ability to go to their clients and get them ranked faster because they're thinking creatively about how to use quality content at scale. Okay, so you could have uh, SEO companies that are actually outsourcing, using your service, and then marking up on on the service. And exactly. th- they, maybe the skill that they're actually providing is the actual ed- putting in the posts and putting in the backlinks and all that kind of stuff. Yes, and creating okay. a content strategy of what the topic should be about. Okay, perfect. Okay, that makes sense. I understand that you were hired on by the founders, but if you could take me back to sort of the founding, how did the founders come up with the idea and realize this was a pain point? Where did you come into the picture? Uh, Interestingly enough, my founders were a journalist, CEO who'd found his way into tech. So he's a writer and he was very interested from the supply side of what were his colleagues and journalists going to be doing? What was the next wave of opportunities for them as he saw them all leaving? Uh, And he worked with a technical co-founder. And the way they came up with this idea is they were modeling themselves on my former company, LiveOps. And so they were trying to network with a bunch of the executives of our company. As I moved out to Denver and they were Denver-based, it was easy to meet up when we were here. And they were taking it from scratch. They said, we wanted to create the same thing that you guys did with call centers and do it in writing for content uh, in the new wave of SEO. So they started that in 2010 and around exactly four years ago this week, It's my four-year anniversary this week, which is really crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started my first day. They got it to a couple million dollars for focusing on SMBs with a very different name. We were called Blog Mutt at the time, which is not a name I ever really liked, but everybody had. Was it more of an agency at that time? No, it was all the exact same model. It was just really focused on generalized content. The quality didn't have to be that good. It was all 250 word articles, which is like four or five paragraphs. It was delivered once a week on Thursdays at noon, and you didn't get the choice of if you liked it or not. And the reason for that was that helped SMBs rank on Google at the time. That was effective. And so our company had to evolve like every marketing company with the, with the marketing trends and improve our skills and segment them as the market grows and expands. Okay. So as I understand, then the platform was already working. You were not involved with the MVP. Is that right? That is correct. So they came up with the MVP by modeling a lot of these best practices in the industry that they'd seen together. And then our tech founder, Wade Green, is kind of quite the 
he can do pretty much anything from scratch and just started to emulate it and create every single system platform by himself as the as the first way of getting it started. So he's a technical co-founder then, Wade? Yes. Okay. So when you joined, what employee were you when you joined? So interesting. There were 12 employees when I got there and then I replaced the CEO. So I was number 12. And then we actually went down in size to about 10 or 11 for the next two to three years as we built up the platform again to try to scale. And then last year we had our basically grown over 300% in the last four years. And only last year did we really start adding headcount because we're bootstrapped and these are the, the hard decisions you have to make. So right now we're heading into about double that, about 24 with you know, a team of 12 to 15 kind of contractors that focus mostly on us. Okay. And so you were essentially hired as a CEO when you first came in. Is that right? I did. A pretty quirky situation. That's really not how normally how it goes, especially with a company that's only a couple million dollars in revenue and not insanely profitable. So we had to come up with a quirky relationship in order for me to come on and be hired. And they were running like a, like a VC funded company as far as giving options to employees and had been really thoughtful about creating a structure where this, this could happen. And what were some of the first things that you really had to do when you first got going? What were some of the first problems that you were assigned to solving? Yeah, it's interesting. I wouldn't say I was assigned to do anything. All I was assigned to do was take over and make this thing grow. <laughs> so yeah. so once you get that, you have your classic kind of like, you come into a company and look for the bright spots, right? These guys have been doing something. Something's been working for the last five years. What can I home in on and what can I just see if I can build more of that. When you're a bootstrap company, it's particularly challenging because you don't say, you know, if you're a funded company, you get to say, I'd like to make a few of these bets. I'd like to make a few big bets. And if you're bootstrapped, you think, wow, how much more money do I have to make before I can make an incremental bet? And that's a really big perspective shift. I'd never worked for a bootstrap company before. So my first focus was how do I create an immediate revenue driver for the company that frees up some cash so I can make some of the big investments that I need to make. And so your big choices are customer acquisition. Do I go out and find more customers? Do I have an immediate marketing sales big hit? We did not. Everything we had was organic traffic, which was amazing and quite the gift. But at the same time, it's hard to scale. We had no outbound sales function. We had no paid advertising function. So there was nothing to hit on there. We were bringing in a thousand new clients a year through our organic traffic. And so my first focus was expansion revenue. How do I find the gems of this portfolio, grow them to larger customers, and also offer them more of the things they need through cross-sells that could fund the rest of our growth? And so step one was the super basic strategy. That is not, you know, that is not what they taught me in my MBA strategy courses. That is just like survival bootstrapped marketing 101. And then everything else is building a company stage by stage, people, processes, and product. What do we need to do incrementally to get there? We built the team for the right people at the right time. The classic kind of like the what got you here will not get you there situation. And just rethinking each one of those um, was the strategy. And then I always like to say that, you know, the cool things that they teach you in MBA courses on strategy is like 1% of what you actually do in real life. And the way that you build a company is 99% of the time is micro executions and decisions every single day, relentlessly year after year, which gets none of the glory. We get none of the talking points on podcasts, but I really think that's like the key ingredient. 
I totally agree with you. So when you first got there, that's interesting. There was no paid strategy, but it sounds like the um, lifetime value of your customers are probably quite high, right? So it seems like right away there's justification for a paid paid traffic strategy, right? Interesting enough, we still don't do any paid, uh, very much paid strategy. It's always been pretty low on our priority. We've always focused on content marketing. So a couple of things about our platform. One is we're a subscription model. So it's a recurring revenue stream, like good, uh, good SaaS model, but also has been really helpful because these are the people who want to be dedicated to content marketing. So mm-hmm. I had a nice ongoing stream. The, the second piece of it is our, my founder was a journalist and he wrote five blogs a week, every single week for his first five years of which I do a fraction of that. But he built up that all of that organic traffic is an asset that mm-hmm. basically keeps paying off to this day is like a, you know, is an annuity. I'm deeply grateful for that because uh, I got to weigh in on that and basically leaned into it. And we kept focusing on our organic traffic has gone up about 50% a year, every year since I took over as well. And we use that to fund the majority of our business. We didn't even start a full-time sales outbound person until September of this year. So what's your traffic at now? Like what's your organic traffic at now? I think it's 35,000 visitors a month. Okay. Very specialized. Is the majority of that sort of long tail because you have so many articles, you're getting like a hundred people per article, or do you have a couple of power articles that are bringing in a bulk of that traffic? Yeah, we have thousands and thousands of articles up there now after up through those years. So a lot of the older stuff is super long tail, just gets a few hits each every once in a while. And then a lot of our new stuff, especially building off a We've done a lot of new content this year. We started a podcast that's uh, that's been going really well, even though it's impossible to track what the results are because podcast is a yeah. crazy new world. I'm sure you know this as well as anyone. Um, yeah. And so we've really balanced between a few areas of the funnel. We have thought leadership. What should you be doing in marketing at a high level? Very in line with the type of content you put out. You're looking for senior leaders who are trying to be inspired by marketing, figure out what they want to do. Then we have the bottom of the funnel, which is here's sample posts in every industry. We write about agricultural products. We write about diesel engines. We write about beauty and health. We write about tech. People want to know that even if you're a broader platform, that you have the segmentation within that you can deliver to what they're looking for. Uh, And then we have something in the middle, which is kind of more ongoing, the classic type of stuff. But um, we think that hitting the right part of content at the right time is really important. And we really wanted to stand out from the rest of the industry that really focuses on, you know, here's the three best trends in blogs every month. We want to be talking mm-hmm. about how do you think of content as a competitive advantage and how does it fuel the modern marketing strategy? And so what's the average customer? Like, let's say someone's right putting out four blogs uh, a month and it's 1500 words per blog. What's your price point for that type of customer? So our price point for our customers is about, is it? Our entry, our mid-level blog is a thousand, a thousand words is kind of of our mid-level. And if you remember, I started, so we started as a 250 word was our only product. And now you can get any word length. We have dramatically gone upscale towards longer form content. Our average word length now is closer to a thousand and a thousand words is about $120. And so our average customer spends with us about $750 a month. Um, Okay. And that includes both the raw content and also the professional services. We can either use us for your account management. If you don't have someone on your team, we'll turn it into a video. We'll SEO optimize it. There's a bunch of kind of like the solutions approach of what we can offer you in addition to the content. And you do images as well? Yes. 
Okay. So it's basically a full service for your content creation. You put it in, in and everything, eh? Yeah, that's kind of how we think of it. We think of it as a, a lot of the industry when you're, some of your earlier questions, like how are we different than some of the other things you've heard before? And I think of a lot of the rest of the industry really started as like a, if your goal is to have, create more high quality meals that you home cook every night, um, mm-hmm. most of the industry is based on a grocery store model. You show up, you have a membership like at Costco, you have to go figure out what you need to make every night, you go shopping for it. There's a lot of impediments to get there. We are much more like a home delivered meal service like Blue Apron, where we're bringing it to your door, we're bringing it as packaged as you want it to be. You do still need to cook it because content doesn't create itself, but we're turning into as much of a solution subscription as possible. So you were telling me that you first came in, one of your chief objective is is to grow. How have you found that 300% growth? If you're not really just going off of SEO, how do you scale that? So how have you found ways to scale? So the first thing I talked about was really a marketing strategy of how do we expand our existing clients. But the first thing that I put our flag on the ground is our product quality. The quality of the industry had really accelerated. The need for Mm -hmm. higher quality had accelerated and our product had not met it yet. So the first thing I said is we need to focus on creating this higher quality content and a better user experience. There's really two things that our clients measure us on, both the quality of the content and our, then also the scalability and the flexibility. And then the last thing is the user experience of our platform, which creating content is a lot of friction. And how do we just take as much out of that and make it pleasurable as possible? And so we focused on that pretty much relentlessly. What I knew we wanted to do is we wanted to target um, a higher, more sophisticated digital marketer like digital agencies. And we wanted to rebrand as our brand no longer fit and had become too associated with the first wave of crowdsourcing of kind of generalized content. So it took us a couple of years to get to the point where we were ready to do that. And then we did a major rebrand two years ago this month to Verblio. Mm-hmm. We did a few things with that. First is we put our flag and planted our flag that we were going to be the quality provider. We weren't going, to, we were going to be the premium provider for agencies. We are going to have a white label platform that was also the easiest to use, and the most modernized. And we were going to build a brand that really resonated with agencies. We were going to speak their speak. We were going to show that we understand their needs, but also like we were going to be quirky and fun and build a brand that had a big pink slash in our logo that showed that like we are not, agencies are marketers. They want to be out there having a good time and they're like, mm-hmm. they want to be engaged yeah. at, a, at a more fun level. And so we pretty much brought all of those things to the brand. And then we just infused that brand with meaning over the last couple of years. And it started to resonate and bring in bigger customers and the clients started to find us. But so mostly the clients are still coming in organically through SEO. I mean, you weren't doing events or there's no other marketing initiatives aside from the content producing? Oh, there are others. I'm just talking about our main channel. So last year, one of our big events was uh, we got really into event marketing of getting in front of agencies at their conferences where they were and being on those stages and sponsoring those. And then we went big with those investments for for traffic and conversion this year and Impact Live and Uh all of these things that we were sponsoring. Uh And we put all of our funds and effort into those and they were all canceled. And so uh, we had to rethink how we were going to find these people. And um, so that's really where we focused on on our podcast and other ways to get in front of them in a a less conference-oriented way. So I'll just ask that question again. Can you tell me some of the uh, other channels or initiatives that you've been trying that you've been finding success with? Um, you mentioned um, event marketing. Can you tell me how that's been going? 
Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you about we've been focused on event marketing. We just started outbound sales. We've been focused on partnerships for a while and then paid advertising are four kind of key, more predictable revenue channels. Event marketing was really taken off last year. It's been really hard to find the places where agencies go and they find in order to get their information that they find credible and where they want to learn from. And we really found them last year. And so we invested big in those. Uh, We got on the stage, we got sponsorships. And this year we decided to go even bigger. So March and April were supposed to be all of our conference season. We invest in our biggest booth ever at traffic and conversion uh, in San Diego. I think we spent like $30,000 on that and prepped all sorts of giveaways and booths and all that type of stuff. Uh, And then you kind of know the end of the story on March, on Friday the 13th, it all got canceled. So all of our big marketing (laughs) events for the year were destroyed. The other funny kind of uh, side point to that is that our other big marketing campaign is we were going to do our first big paid campaign. We had done this video with me as kind of like a doing a mock pharmacy commercial on TV about being your content doctor that I we thought was really mm-hmm. funny. And so we built that out into a giant ad campaign that all of a sudden immediately no longer became funny with the current context. So we had to take that completely down yeah. as well. So came my April. We had absolutely no major marketing initiatives moving forward, which I'm not going to cry on my sleeve as I know many of you are going through the exact same thing, but it sure was not fun. So we refocused. And so what we did is we tried to figure out where our agencies uh, and other top digital marketers were going online. And we did two big things. One is we started a podcast, which I'd been wanting to do for a really long time. We started it as a kind of crisis response. We have all these top digital marketers. We can get their guidance on how they're managing through the crisis and share it with our audience. And so we just did that on video. Mm -hmm. We weren't turning into a podcast. They were 10 minute videos or less, three times a week for the first month, and then decided to expand it to really be kind of the type of marketers that we're bringing on that are, that would inspire our marketing audience. And so we really focus on kind of a bigger picture thought leaders in, in digital marketing. We had Rain Fishkin on this week. Russ Simmons and a bunch of kind of those type of people, but also people that help marketers build their business, like executive coaches, uh, MarTech CEOs and things of that nature. So that's been really helpful in getting our our brand out and connecting. The other really important thing has been getting in their Slack groups and their online communities, uh, adding real value, not being salesy about it, and just trying to, we want to understand their needs. We want to learn from them, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're going where they're learning from and uh, trying to participate there. So both of those things have really helped to save. And then we kind of tripled the amount of content we're doing, which is a big content trend that we're seeing all around. First couple of months, everybody stopped their content and paused as they tried to figure out the situation. And then all the digital marketers that are in it for the long haul went really big. And we've seen a giant kind of increase in the amount of written content that's being put out there by the folks who are in there who are planning to do it for the long haul. What are some of the guidelines that you give right now? Or what are you finding most successful with your content strategies? Uh, do you have some like some of the top must-haves for um, your your clients and for our listeners? Yeah, I'll tell you what they're what they're doing. So I'm in the, I have this interesting view. So I get to watch a thousand digital marketers and see what they really do with their content strategy every month versus what the uh, what mm-hmm. the preachers preach. And the ones that are working, right? Yes. You know the which ones are working too, which strategies are working. I can. So a couple of the big trends is one is the bigger guys are investing in it now. And that's because for a couple of reasons, there's always been the, I wrote a post that was basically said content was always king and now it got promoted, which is content is even more effective now as a marketing channel than ever before. It still has all the benefits of 
drive an annuity, reaching your client when they want, when your audience of when they want to look for you versus when you're looking for them, which is 97% of the time. But now all the other channels got taken away and more people are spending time online. So there's just been a giant rush of, of marketers building that. The second big trend is marketers want to have more impact immediately. So the SEO investment of trying to write content and eventually it pays off and builds this annuity is a long one. It takes six to 12 months to really get going on kind of on the bright side or sorry, in the best case scenarios. And so people want more results quicker. And so what they're doing to try to get those is various forms of repurposing content. So they already have these assets and they're looking at how to magnify the value of each one of these assets. And so I'm seeing these in a couple of ways. One is large content refresh projects. So we're having companies that have 3000 blogs saying, take our top 10%, infuse them with new keywords, make them more recent, make them more compelling for Google so that we can rank quickly and more highly. So we're doing a lot of these large packages. The second is repurposing other types of content, especially for thought leaders like CEOs, other executives who have a hard time writing their own content. I know I have a hard time writing content, but I sure like to talk. And so I get on these podcasts and we're now, mm-hmm. so one of our biggest products right now is turning podcasts into 1200 word summaries that are engaging, that have top quotes. Here's the things I learned the quickest. And so each one of those, your thought leaderships that you've been doing on podcasts now becomes written content. And then we'll, the third piece of it is we will put a bunch of these together. We'll either take large pieces of content, like a pillar piece that's 10,000 words and turn them into a series of 20 blogs, or I'll take a series of 20 blogs and turn them into Mm -hmm. an ebook. All of those are, are communicating with a different audience and having a more immediate impact than the original kind of content marketing brand promise. Do you have like guidelines for like how often to post or is it really, does it not, is it sort of specialized to whatever market you're, you're in? I mean, you have some guidelines, like well, I always hear like, oh, once a week, at least 1500 words, that sort of thing. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, well, the market, <laughs> I love the market talking point, which is everyone says as much as you can, as often as you can. But I think what you just said about once a week, you know, at least a thousand words is kind of like minimum. I kind of see it as three levels. You've got your keep the lights on, like you're a real business. Yeah. You want mm-hmm. you want your customers to just know that you are active, thinking about their issues and that you want to be seen as like, you got some of this down once a week, I think is is really the minimum, maybe twice a month at the very, very minimum. Okay. You got a mid range, which is like, I want to start outranking my competition. And so you're looking at this like any marketing strategy, what's your competition doing? Who do you want to outrank? How much are they doing? How do I create Mm -hmm. better content more frequently? So those guys are generally doing somewhere between 10 and 20 pieces a month. And then you have the third level, which is Mm -hmm. really thinking about content as a competitive advantage, which is how do I blow out my competition, create a competitive moat so they'll never, only I will be found at the top of the rankings every month. And those guys are doing, as I said, you know, 80, 80 pieces a month to a thousand pieces a month and are being very strategic about what they write. They want to own every single keyword with a great article behind it that gets engagement. Um, no, that definitely answers the question. Top tier, like what are you seeing that they're spending on your platform? What's a top tier and what's a mid-tier guy spending on that? Just just so so people, our listeners can put it in perspective on versus paid traffic and content. Yeah. So I will say that 
So our top tier are, are large agencies that are spending on their clients. So it's very it's not the specific client themselves versus their portfolio of clients. Our largest clients mm-hmm. are spending eighty thousand plus with us a month for their clients. Our mid-sized clients, like the the ones that we are spending somewhere between a thousand, five thousand is our mid-sized category. Okay, so a thousand in there, and those are the ones that are just writing for themselves. Mostly, yeah. Like it's really dependent back on your industry analysis. Like uh, some of our largest clients are focused on really competitive spaces like personal injury attorneys. And so we're seeing a content arms race in a lot of these areas where every single year, the minimum size of those posts are going up. So they started at 800 words in SEO for personal injury lawyers. We're getting an average word length of 2000 words. So depending on how competitive your space is, I think it's going to keep getting more frequent and longer length in order for you to compete. But I think on the other side of it, if you're in an industry, especially like older manufacturing where SEO is just catching up now, you're in the laggards, this is a great opportunity for you to learn what happened in SEO in the last 15 years, where you can really get in some of the uh, really effective marketing channel for a lot less money if you're ahead of your competition. Okay, that makes sense. And for those people that aren't doing that now, recommendations on getting started? Any other like tips for that? Yes, I have a very strong Just, tip, which is don't do it yourself. Um, so the reason that we work with marketing agencies is because marketing agencies know how to do this. And just like any good company, you want to focus on the area where you can add the most value and get the most help from experts who can do it more affordably and bring you that expertise quickly. So I'm a strong believer in using marketing agencies to help you create your strategy and run it for you as a starting point. Uh, that's what we do. I think it's a critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I would agree with that. So you can specialize on what you do best, which really should probably be out trying to grow your company and not actually doing the actual writing. My voice is really important to me. So I I think the most important thing is if it's important to you and you're using outsourced writers, you don't have to give up on your quality. You just have to change your expectation. And so my expectation is that a good writer, if I've given her or him great guidance on what I'm looking for, should get me 70% uh-huh. of the way there. And a 70% draft is really powerful for me. I can edit that and put my own voice and I'll get it done. But if I'm sitting in front of a blank cursor, I will get nothing done. I'll just sit there and stare and be apoplectic. Okay. And what about other um, tools that go along with your your platform? For example, I use uh, ClearScope, which is a SEO AI tool that helps sort of get the keywords in place for the writer. Do you have any other tips or tools um, that go along well with uh, that can help aid the writers? Uh, it's such a great question. So ClearScope is a perfect example of what I was talking to their CEO, Bernard, last week. So we have a, a plus SEO solution, kind of one of our services is an add-on where we'll SEO optimize your content pieces, we'll format it in your mm-hmm. CMS, and then we'll just, and we'll ship it directly. And we're revamping that right now. We're doing more and more work with our clients, bringing us their ClearScope accounts and wanting our writers to work on that. So by the end of the year, we'll have a new solution based just on that, uh, focused on how to get more SEO juice out of every piece. Yeah, the clear it's a that's a great tool as well. Any other ones that you like? ClearScope is way up there. There are a few others that are playing in that category. Market Muse, I really like those guys. They focus much more on the enterprise space for doing similar type of mm-hmm. things of creating a content brief for every large piece. So they focus more on enterprise mm-hmm. and more on like your pillar pieces of what you want to put in if you want to write an ebook. 
Mm-hmm. But those guys are great and they're really thoughtful. I've heard a lot about this company Headline recently, which is how to optimize your your headlines and each piece for maximum engagement, which I haven't played with yet, but I've it's some of the buzz I've started to hear. Great. Okay. We're getting to the end of our agreed upon hour. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, how can our uh, listeners find you? Great. So I, uh, our company is Verblio, Verb, V-E-R-B-L-I-O.com. You can find us there. We try to make a pretty fun website if you want to hang out with us. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Steve Pockross, P-O-C-K-R-O-S-S. And then you can check out our podcast, which is The Verblio Show on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Great. We look forward to checking it out myself. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.